Hey, welcome everybody. Super excited to have another recording here of a podcast. I'm super excited to have Partho. He is super experienced, a senior director of product growth at Hootsuite. Before that, he was head of product at a company that got acquired Banana Tag. And even before that, I was at Advance as a group product manager. So we're going to be talking and geeking out all about product. Partho, how are you doing today? How are things with you? Doing well, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, before we jump in and geek out about product like growth and everything about that, uh, you mentioned that you're an avid scuba diver. So you're based out of Vancouver, is that correct? Like, I guess there's no scuba diving spot there. Like, where is your favorite scuba diving spot? It's funny, actually. So, so Vancouver and British Columbia actually have like some of the best cold water diving in the world. And so there are days where I've gone from snowboarding in the morning to diving at night, uh, which is kind of, you know, not many places in the world you can do that. It is cold, though. You have to wear a dry suit. But in terms of, like, best scuba diving spots for me, I, I think my most iconic one that I remember doing is in Iceland. They have a dive. It's very cold water. But you can actually be between the North American tectonic plate and the Asian, Euro-Asian tectonic plates. You're literally in between two continents diving, which is really, uh, it's called Silfra. Very cool. That's probably my most iconic dive that I've ever ever done myself. But I can't wait to go back diving. I haven't dove that much because of the pandemic. Right. But absolutely. I got to get on that. I know a few other of my buddies uh, scuba dive. So that's one of my life goals is scuba dive. I've awesome. never gone before. So I might start off in a swimming pool and then work my way yeah. up to where you, yeah. where you are. Yeah. Usually they do that, and uh, now it's it's great. And there's some articles I saw recently of like links to product managers and scuba diving for like meditative uh, purposes and things like that because you just focus on breathing. And so yeah, it's pretty interesting. Really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Let's jump in and talk about product-led growth. Now, Hootsuite, for people who are not familiar with it, is this really big social media platform. Uh, it helps you easily schedule uh, your social media posts. You joined there and you, you talked about elevating, and this is something that's interesting, elevating product-led growth at Hootsuite. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, What are some of your things you're doing? First of all, what, what do you mean by elevating product-led growth? Hootsuite, I always thought it was already a little bit product-led because if I recall, you can sign up for free and, and get going by that. What are some things that you're looking at to elevate at, at Hootsuite? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. I mean, absolutely. Of, of course, we have a freemium product and uh, you know we've got a free plan that we have many, many users on and they find a lot of value out of it. And we move customers from that into our, our professional plans and our, our self-serve plans, as we call them on our website. But, you know, we also have a large amount of mid-market and enterprise, you know, customers. And so, you know, the big things that we're really trying to do is I wish it was as easy as just having that free product and really just having a model where there's a trial or there's a free product that people can move into, but it, it goes a lot deeper than that. So I'd say in terms of elevating, it's really about looking at our activation funnels, really understanding you know, how customers are getting engagement out of our product, and then how that all gets packaged into in-product you know, self-serve expansion opportunities and how do, how do customers upsell and upgrade with the product? How do you move them from being, you know, beginner social media marketers to advanced social media marketers through your platform, right? How are you, how are you teaching customers to get better? And, and then obviously hoping that they have to move up in terms of what their needs are into some of the more advanced pieces. So that's really what the focus has been. And it's really diving deeper into than just having what's called a free plan and getting people in that way. 
I love that because often it's like this iceberg analogy. When people think about product-led growth, the first thing they think about is free trial freemium. And then there's this other, like in an iceberg, 90% of it is underwater and you got the onboarding approach. You got how the team is structured. You got the pricing model. Everything else is underwater, which people don't consider when they think about being product-led. But I want to dig a little bit into that. I know we also chatted when we were chatting about, you're talking a little bit about onboarding there. Can you talk a little bit about like the onboarding approach now and what are some things that your team is experimenting with for Hootsuite 2? You're talking about that journey for users, whether that they're new or they're amateur or they're intermediate. And now you want to level them up to more advanced and pro social media users. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll give as many, I guess, uh, information around it without any of the trade secrets attached to it. But I think <laughs> the big thing really is, uh, you know, for us, it's really about focusing on the customer and, and trying to obviously tailor their experiences and understand why are they joining you know, this platform that is Hootsuite? Why are they choosing Hootsuite? What do they want to get out of it? What's their goals and their intent? And then really honing in on that from day one. Hootsuite is one of those products, especially in social media. All the pieces around social media is a lot around instant gratification. And I would say that's no different in terms of the platform itself. We have to make sure that our customers are happy on almost the first session right? In the first 10 minutes. And when you talk about things like your light bulb moment or your aha moment, uh, we're big fans of the Reforge framework at Hootsuite. So, you know, the setup moment, aha moment, have a moment. These are things that we've quantified in our product and really focusing on that aha is really critical. And the challenge is, you know, it's not just one group. It's not just one of them for an entire customer base like Hootsuite. There's multiple and we have to figure out what those are for a specific customers, how we personalize that and and making sure that it, it makes sense for each individual user that comes in. And that's, you know, it's a lofty goal. It sounds simple. It sounds, you know, relatively like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Every company should do that. But when you get down into the nitty gritty, it's a lot of work and it's it a lot of focus. Yeah. And then, you know, outside of onboarding activation, you know, product growth, the kind of department that I oversee is much more than just, I'd say, the activation funnel. It's a huge part of it, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. then we're also focusing on engagement, how are customers really using all of our products and our features? And are they, are they seeing it? Are they seeing it at the right time, the right place? You know, if they've done, you know, certain things in the product, can we, you know, should we be showing them something that's more powerful? So there's a lot mm-hmm. around that as well. And then of course, you know, something that's net new that a lot of growth teams and product growth teams are doing in the industry is really kind of looking at all the communication in, in a mm-hmm. product and, and how are customers being communicated to, how are they being reached out to, whether that's, you know, new ideas, new features, new products, or just, you know, more power usage of, you could be getting a lot more value if you do these kind of things. That's a new kind of group that we're bringing on at Hootsuite as well that you know is really neat under the product growth kind of umbrella. If you don't mind me asking a bunch of follow-up questions based on that. Yeah. I mean, the first one is around that. Like, Are you also like working with the marketing team for the onboarding emails? Or that communication is just all like in-app that you're talking about the communication? Yeah, it's great. Great question. I mean, the nice thing about product growth is I sit kind of in between in the intersection of our growth marketing team and our product management team. 
And that's a really neat space to be. And one of the, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for me as an individual, I've always been very growth focused and always, you know, joined a lot of early stage startups, seeing them grow and get through, you know, hundred percent year of year growth. And, and that kind of stuff really is built into the DNA of my kind of product management skill set. And so I think there's a lot of folks like me out there that probably don't even know that product growth is a thing. And so, you know, living in that intersection, we always have to kind of straddle both sides. And so in terms of the comm side, absolutely. Like, you know, emails, there's operational product emails or transaction emails that, you know, maybe the product side owns. And then there's marketing emails through like Marketo or HubSpot that, you know, the growth marketing team owns. And so we have to really collaborate really closely. And then even when it comes to in-app, you know, in-app mm. is often seen as like a product marketing or product management only, you know, right. owned area. But if you're in a product-led growth company, then the growth marketing team should have an avenue into the product and right. your brand marketing team should have an avenue in. And so it goes both sides for so many aspects. And that's why I guess comms role is a good one to pick on because you can easily see how that all works. Yeah. But I think it's true of even things like activation and your acquisition funnels, uh, engagement. And you know, I think we're doing a really great job uh, at Hootsuite of that. Fascinating. That's a very interesting response to that. Another follow-up question I had was around, you had this interesting discussion around segment and the aha moment for different segments. Like it could be different aha moments you were talking about. Can you talk a little bit about that for Hootsuite? Because like, if I was not really deep into the product, I would be like, oh, well, it's the first time somebody posts, schedule something on Hootsuite. But you're saying that, hey, for different segments, that could be different. So what do you mean by that? And like, can you give like examples within Hootsuite itself? Yeah, and definitely, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, if we're using the Hootsuite example, you know, the big piece is really, of course, you know, publishing and scheduling is core, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's core, P, and, and obviously being cross-functional across multiple social networks, that's a very core piece to the product and a basis. But, you know, as social media advances and matures and for what Hootsuite provides, there's so much of the Hootsuite platform and, and so much of it is uh, really, really kick-ass, but you know, how fast do people find it or, you know, whether it's things like our advanced analytics platform and impact or if it's, you know, our our ads products and even things like, you know, our Amplify product, which is best in class in terms of, you know, employee advocacy and getting, you know, uh, so there's just so much power underneath it all that we need to surface it. And for some segments, you know, maybe uh, I think at the core publishing is always going to be there, but then it's like, is there another part to this, Mm. this segment that needs to, aha moment, right? Or we have to call it out as this is a part of the aha moment. And how do we get those customers closer and faster to those things quicker? But even in the core of Hootsuite products, if you look at the schedule view, like do people want to see that first and see that they can, wow, okay, I can see everything all at once. Or do they want to see like a competitive view in our streams where it's like, oh, I'm looking at trends across multiple different, you know, product lines or different hashtags. And I get to see that all at once and then action on that. There's just a lot of different use cases, I would say. And of course, at the start of this year, we announced our acquisition with uh, getting into social conversations and social commerce. So we're really focusing on care platforms and social care along with social commerce. And now those are going to be huge value props for Hootsuite moving forward. I love that. Like it totally makes absolute sense. Like the after the publishing, it makes sense like to figure out what the next thing is for them as part of that aha moment. Yeah. 
I'm curious how your team is thinking about that side. Are you asking the people, the new users up front, like what are they trying to accomplish or like how are you segmented out? Or is it based on what page they sign up from or whatever feature they were looking at to really figure out, okay, for this person, they might want that advocacy feature next to, we need to uh, bubble up. Yeah, there's definitely some secret sauce to some of that. Like we definitely use uh, the years of, kind of, you know, how much data and information that Hootsuite has. But, you know, of course, we focus very much on our customers and, you know, being in the in the social media space and caring about data, like we also have to be very, very careful, like where our customer security is the utmost importance. And so, you know, obviously, yes, we do have onboarding surveys and we do segment based on some of that and understanding, you know, what we can do moving forward for those customers. Goals is a big part of it as well. I ask us what their goals are. And then based on the different industries that they may be coming from, you know, we'll definitely talk about the suite of products they probably get value out of. And, and there's work to be done there as well, for sure. Really fascinating. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I want to jump back to something you said earlier around how the team is structured. If I heard it correctly, the product growth team is is separate from the product team. Is that what... Uh, no, that's not correct. Actually, I, I bought Umbrella up to the product management, okay. uh, our department, yeah, and our SVP or product. But, you know, we have to sit very much basically in the middle of kind of, you know, where growth marketing sits and where wow. product management is. And we like to think that we are hopefully serving both groups and kind of, you know, being a conduit for both groups. But yes, uh, functionally, you know, we, we uh, roll up to product and, you know, most of my folks that are on my team are product managers. And so, oh, okay. Makes um, sense. which is, yeah, which is actually a little different for a lot of growth, product growth teams. Obviously we also have acquisition uh, as part of the product growth area and that is actually split kind of between the growth marketing. And, and it's nice to have that because right. that ties in our partnership really well. It may seem like it's kind of like odd and whatnot, but it actually makes for a very deeper partnership, I'd say, and, and a better transition. So we have to work really closely knowing exactly what's happening on the acquisition funnel to get into the activation mm. funnel. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Like, uh, I mean, sometimes what your acquisition channel kind of defines how active those users could be uh, where they come from. Can you talk a little bit about that, the acquisition? Like, are you, are you talking more about like how does product growth work in the acquisition space? Because you're right, like that is, would you say it's not... It's not standard. It's not standard. Can you talk? Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious now. I want to go deep into this and how yeah. this works for your team. Yeah, organically, what happens is actually a lot of it's due due to trying to resource and improve like how many developers we can put into like our acquisition funnel and and how much focus we can have from our engineering teams and and a way of doing that was really under our product growth department as a whole, you know, we, we can really emphasize obviously how much product development should go into it. And so, you know, by having acquisition as a part of kind of this mini department, let's call it, even though it's straddling between product management and growth marketing, we get to share the resourcing across all these different kind of funnels that we talked about and teams. So acquisition, activation, engagement, so on and so forth. And that way, organically, the developers are working on problem space in an area for the company that's 
very related. And so as they're talking and working together on driving solutions, including the product managers and growth marketing managers, then, you know, there's a lot of collaboration and partnership. And I will say, like, I haven't seen, obviously there's always room for improvement, but I think that's one benefit, like compared to my previous experiences at like Unbounce and even at Benante, that just wasn't really there. So I'm a fan of it thus far. It's, right. it's still early days for me to give a definitive, like everyone should be doing this, but it's been good so far. And I, you know, I'm sure we'll scale it. Uh, Hootsuite's a, you know, we're a growing company and definitely are, uh, I'm sure we'll have more headcount. I'll probably depict what our so cool. structure needs to look like, you know, maybe right. a year from now, but uh, yeah. That's so cool. You put it, it is not standard, but it really makes sense. Like you can really support more the growth marketing side of it. Yeah. And it is, you might not be able to share this, but can you share maybe a, an experiment around the acquisition side that your team has worked with? Uh, and it could just, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of like what yeah. kind of things would you be working? Is it like, like landing page optimization or like more? Yeah, sorry. I, I can totally give some examples on, you know, of some of the experiments that we've done in the past as well and, and things that I've run with my teams in the past. Both, in fact, I'll use experiences from both Unbounce and Banana Tag. One of the really great experiments that we've done top of the funnel uh, through kind of both the growth marketing and growth hacking and then into the product management was, for example, you know, Unbounce and Banana Tag. If you go to banantag.com slash try or unbounce.com slash try, the URL might, may have changed slightly. You'll pop open the designer and builder of both those platforms right there and then. No sign up needed, you know, nothing like that required. And, you know, people can start playing around with the core of the product really quickly and see a lot of the cool, you know, machine learning and AI generation pieces that both those companies were doing. Things that, you know, you would have to take maybe a week into your trial before you really got into it if you're going down the trial, you know. Uh, model. And, you know, what we found at both companies is like the, the conversion rate of trial to paid significantly higher for anyone that goes through the, that try page, even though they go into a trial thereafter, it's just like they activate so much faster. The other thing I'll call out is we experiment a lot on like the quote unquote onboarding checklist. And I won't call out that the onboarding checklist is like uh, intercom style, you know, one, two, three on the bottom, right? It's much more baked into the product and really understanding what are the key things our customers have to do to be able to get value out of the product. And, and that crucial time to value moment, uh, how do we reduce time to value? And so Unbounce, for example, really focused on, you know, we knew that the customers, you know, this is years ago, but I do remember this clearly that we knew clearly that a customer had to have a lead generation platform attached to Unbounce to see value out of the landing page side of it. And for us to be seen as a conversion rate optimization tool and a landing page builder versus like a website builder, that was a key critical component. And so it's like, you know, hook up to MailChimp or hook up to Marketo or, you know, hook up to HubSpot. That was a required step in our onboarding process. And, and doing that in a self-serve manner meant that those integrations had to be super tight. So, right. you know, I think experimenting with that onboarding flow and that, again, that quote unquote checklist is really important. And the only reason I say the quote unquote on checklist is because I think everybody goes down the path of, you know, here's a small little pop-up 
that shows one, two, three. But I think you have to get a lot deeper than that yeah. with your product. And you need to be building it into your product and really understanding how you can impact some of those actions quickly. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like going just beyond the checklist and you know, influencing. I have some ideas around like what you mean by that, but I'm curious. Uh, particularly what are some things that you've seen that really like drive them not just like here's a checklist (laughs) yeah yeah totally i mean some of it's making a lot more natural instead of it feeling like a one two three checklist or even showing a checkbox checklist it's like you know here's how the flow works and and you know over multiple screens and there's a lot of you know i think especially a few years ago a lot of focus on obviously reducing the number of steps in your onboarding funnel. Right. And that's critical. I, I don't get me wrong. I think it's important to think about the balance of how many screens you have versus a one, but getting to the place where you're trying to boil it down to a very small section in one page that is, you know, just trying to drive you to do X, Y, and Z. It's definitely not as impactful as leading a customer through a natural flow of the product mm. and then getting them to complete certain actions through that flow and having that baked in. So even though it is a checklist, it doesn't feel like a checklist. It mm. feels like a journey that's natural and you get activated and you feel powerful in the end, right? Like that's the the emotion that should come out of that at the end should be that that customer feels very powerful. And I mean, I'll use the onboarding funnel that I think most folks looking at onboarding funnels look at, which is like, if you look at superhuman, right? and there's human intervention in superhuman's funnel. But in the end, I think the emotion that you get from it is that you feel powerful with what you've mm. done. And, and obviously they call it that you feel superhuman, but I think that's the key piece that uh, a lot of those small little mini checklist or one page checklist where you're trying to get everything done. It doesn't feel very emotive. And uh, mm. I don't think it gives the emotion to the customer that they have done something great. And now they're on their way to getting a huge amount of success out of your product. You know, I think it's also really important to experiment around this. Mm. Like there's so many variations, there's so many different design flows and principles that you can try. You have to mix and match. And I've been at companies where reducing the number of screens was really critical, but vice versa, believe it or not, I've been at companies where we had to expand the number of screens. Uh, And it's really based on your product. I will call out a page from like the product-led growth book that I love that we've talked a lot about is like that bowling alley framework is really a great way of settling it. Like, I think you can use that to understand how many screens you do need and how many screens that maybe you don't need or touch points. Because, you know, if you look at that model, I bet you a lot of companies like we're missing half of it, right? Maybe that means that you need to be, you know, having people and app nudges and things like that versus companies where there's a barrage of emails and a barrage of things that happen in the first like day of being a customer. And maybe you should reduce a lot of that. Mm. So yeah, that's really important point to it all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm totally with you there. I think often it gets too far where you like slice and dice too much where it's, you're just you feel like you're being rushed to the experience it's like let me teach you about quantum physics in three screens like good luck (laughs) right like yeah sometimes you need a little bit of uh, a friction to good friction to learn something new like that to overcome it to to feel to your point 
powerful like you need to it's like the any kind of hero's journey where you need to overcome you know like the at the power up stage <laughs> where you go through that journey it, it needs a little bit of friction there i totally love that there i'm going to talk a little bit more about kind of like the stuff you look at in terms of metrics to measure success you mentioned time to value do you guys actually measure like the minutes wise how long it takes for people to engage or and let's start there so i don't compound questions sure yeah, I mean, it's different. I think the different companies that I've worked for, you know, it's, it's so interesting. My, my background comes from e-commerce. I worked at companies like uh, in Canada here, worked at a company named MEC or MEC, depending on mm. where you are in the in Canada, which is for any U.S. listeners, basically the REI of, yeah. of Canada, right. the way I'll call it. And when you're in e-com, you know, the time of conversion is obviously the critical piece. And so the uh, first thing I'll call out is just understanding what that time to value, like what is time to value is so hard right. and critical at the same time. I think most people in most companies will say like, that's so easy. And, and, and like, what, like, duh, we already know this. And it's like, when you dive into it, they really don't, especially for the customer's perspective. So that's really important to understand is what is time to value and what is the value metric and what's your customer's perception of value, mm. right? The second thing is like, yes, at certain companies I have measured, whether it's in minutes or time or sessions. Sessions is another one that we also count of. I mean, sessions is a person taking and how long is their session to then get to that time to value. At Hootsuite, Again, we actually use more of the the AHA framework, and we focus on the setup moment of the. Uh, sorry, AHA framework, the Reforge framework, and we focus on our setup and AHA and habit moments. And so the setup moment is kind of looking at okay, at the end of that, it's time to value, right? And and AHA plays a huge part of the time to value because that's your light bulb moment. But you know, the interesting part of AHA is that there's a quantitative perspective and a qualitative perspective. And so time mm. to value is kind of more on the quantitative. And I think a lot of what the Reforge framework is trying to call out is like, what's your qualitative? Mm. Like, are people really feeling like, holy cow, like this is earth changing for me and what I do or what I've looked to come for this product for, I want to solve this problem. And you're doing, you know, that and more. So, right. uh, yeah, that's so I definitely to kind of recap is like definitely focus on the quantitative aspect of time to value. But I think it's also important to figure out what's the qualitative side too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I totally, I'm totally with you there. I think there's like, it's the classic left brain and right brain. Like you need to have both the quantitative and, and qualitative side too. Are your users finding success with your product? I really love that. So now that we've dug into that, I'm curious also on other kind of metrics that you look at into in terms of, just something that you measure your experiments or your team's success. And I'm guessing it depends once again on, on the final stages, but are there ones that you're particularly really, really like your thumb is there so that you make sure that the, your health of the product growth is based on that? Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. And some of this hasn't really changed based on companies. Like some of this is more principle focused uh, and foundational. I would say number one, I think for anyone focusing on product-led growth, a metric that maybe a lot of folks don't look at is your LTV to CAC ratio, right? Really focusing, understanding your LTV to CAC by different metrics, different measures. So looking at, you know, whether it's market segments, industry segments, you know, even personas and jobs to be done, it's always intriguing to see like, wow, like if we segment our customer base in this way, their LTV CAC is this, Right. And mm -hmm. and that way you can also focus on, okay, well, this is a segment that we care about, but boy, like maybe the ratio is not that great. 
let's like put some PLG love into it and really try to get those customers to serve themselves a bit better and, and empower them. So that's one measure that we I've definitely used across the board. In terms of more like focused metrics, you know, for when you're looking at your engagement of your product, of course, your DAU, MAU ratio is very important in understanding that stickiness factor of your product and how much people are using it day to day, week over week and month over month. But then you can you can drive and drill you know, what are the key product activities that make your DAU MAU important? And, you know, for example, at Hootsuite, I think it's fair to say it's simple. Uh, one of the main ones is publishing, right? How many people mm-hmm. are, how, how fast they're publishing, how many times are they publishing, you know, what's the frequency across how many networks? Those are really important drivers for our product. And so it, really understanding that for your product is really mm-hmm. critical. And then, you know, if you, if you use OKRs, you know, try to drive those quarterly or per quarter. Like figure out how you're going to drive some of those key metrics in your product quarter over quarter, every, every single year. And, you know, that's really powerful, but you know, a lot of companies don't do that. And so that's a lot of the deeper level, like what I would call L2 metrics versus our L1 metrics. Mm. I will look at like LTV to CAC and DU MAU ratio is kind of an L1 metric for PLG and product. And then like your key drivers is more of the L2 to metrics. I love that, the L1, L2 kind of metrics that really does um, make a, a ton of sense. One of the things I want to take a step back and I realized like I, I didn't really dig into this is how your product growth team is, is structured. You talked about activation and do you have a different like quote unquote pod for acquisition and activation and retention or is it something else? Yeah, absolutely. We kind of use that squad model, like we we call them product teams, but uh, you know sometimes we'll probably call them dev teams. Our team structure, especially in product growth, I'm really proud of some of the stuff that we've done here because, and, and a lot of it was already there before I joined. Most of it was, in fact. I, what I will call out is we have different squads per kind of area of focus. So we we have an active acquisition pod, we've got an activation squad, and then we've got an uh, engagement squad along with now, you know, a monetization squad and a product comm squad. So we've got different kind of, you know, dev teams working around these pieces. What's neat about it, and I think unique, that I think needs to change in the product management and growth marketing landscape is uh, we have embedded analysts on these teams. So we we have, you know, typically six to seven developers. We've got a product manager, a product designer, and then an analyst as well. And of course, you know, we're always trying to keep up with that. Sometimes we'll be down a couple of designers or, or a couple of product managers. We just, you know, need to make sure as we're scaling, because we want to scale fast, that we try to get all these squads to be as, you know, fully funded as possible. And so that's a really unique piece that we have the analyst group. And then we also tie in a product marketing partner to all of this. And then, you know, I think what's important is also to try and tie in a customer success partner. They're probably not embedded on the teams, but definitely a customer success partner that focuses on your portfolio or your squad. I know at Unbounce, one thing we did a lot was we would have dedicated CSMs that would be basically partners to a certain part of your product. And then in CS, they would go off and weekly or bi-weekly, they would meet together to talk about all the different product areas and what's going on or what's coming mm-hmm. up or what issues have popped up. So the whole CS side is really aligned. CS being both customer success and customer support. 
And so that's something that's really neat to do as well. But one thing that I just haven't seen as much in a lot of orgs that I've worked for and I was wished for that we have a Hootsuite is like embedding an analyst that can work on complex problems while your product managers and growth marketers are focusing more on, I wouldn't call them simple problems, but much more data that can be self-served, right? Data that you can get from an analytics platform and a BI platform. You don't have to use your analyst team to do that. So that's been really neat and powerful. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I want to start wrapping up in just two final questions. First one is what kind of parting advice, if you had to leave one or two piece of advice to people are tuning in about product-led growth to this show, what would be your piece of advice to those people who are listening in? Yeah, as it, I mean, I think I'll try and maybe I'll separate this just into two. Maybe you can give me uh, two things that I can say. Well, number one, you know, I think one thing that, you know, needs to be recognized with product-led growth is that it does take a village, right? It, it takes the entire company and it changes the mindset of how the product is quote unquote owned by a company. Like the, what I mean by that is often, you know, product is owned by product management and maybe product marketing and in the product-led org, like it's owned by the entire company and every input has to be there. And it has to be a safe space that a lot of departments feel that they can have a say. And that's really important. And cultivating that is hard. It's not easy. Again, one of those things that sounds super easy, but there's a lot of you know, we've been working in a certain manner and we've thought of B2B sales in a certain way for 20 plus years. And now, you know, PLG is really trying to change that mold. So that's really important. And having product managers that understand this quickly means that they're going to ally to these different departments really quickly as well, right? And probably change the way that they've worked for, you know, 10, 15 plus years. The second thing I'll call out though, a little bit more for product management is working in PLGs is kick-ass because you get to focus on your product vision, right? Like who doesn't want to be able to put a product in the market instead of always having to react to one-off kind of customer requests or, you know, XYZ features to close a certain deal. Like you have to put the work in to figure out what are the pain points that our customers have? What is the pain point that this market has? And then what is a a solution that we can bring to that problem that works for all of our customers and also works for our business. And I feel like that's the dream for product managers. And I, I talk about that a lot. Like that's a lot of my pitch of why I talk about PLG is like, while of course, all these metrics in terms of, you know, your CAC spend and your lifetime value of your customers improves, isn't it just great that you can also just focus on what you think is going to be critical And a lot of people do misconstrue that to being that I'm saying, don't listen to your customers. For some reason, that's something I hear is like, oh, you just don't want to listen to your customers or, or you're not, you know, responding to customer requests. That is just so not true. Like, I think if you're going to be a good product manager in a PLG org, your customers are the essence of that product vision and like the lifeline of your business. And that you just have to think deeper of how you're going to impact their problems in a more meaningful way. And it's just not, unfortunately, as easy as just solving the exact thing that your customers are putting down. I wish it was, but in most cases, it's not. And the best thing to recognize is that your customers are always speaking to you in solutions because that's what they're supposed to do. So yeah, a little bit more than just one answer. Sorry, but yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's a good place to wrap it up. One final question. Where can people find out more about you online? Do you want to send them on LinkedIn, Twitter, or do you have like uh, anything else? Yeah, thank you. 
I appreciate that. Uh, LinkedIn's definitely, I think, my main source that I, I go on. So it's slash product partho, or I guess it's slash in slash product partho. My Twitter handle is the same. It's at product partho. And uh, yeah, I talk a lot about product management and product-led growth. So uh, you know, I'm always up for any discussions on there as well. Awesome. Partho, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. You too. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. 